0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Okay, so I guess what we're doing here... Y'all always feel like a little bit bizarre teaching this class because like... Faith and family, and like I have a dog, but I don't have any kids. Um, and so, uh, it's always a little bit awkward, like you know, telling people, like, this is how we can, you know, parent our kids in the gospel. We're not going to talk so much about parenting today, uh, we'll probably just talk a lot about like why we do what we do as a youth ministry, uh, and um, maybe some natural steps that y'all will take as parents to sort of like supplement that thing, not even just as a youth ministry, but as like children from, you know, infancy up through high school here at Advent in the youth ministry. So, and here at Advent, we have um, a couple of foundations, I think five uh, foundations of successful children and family youth ministry. Uh, And those include things like gospel centrality, uh, relational discipleship, intergenerational um, integration. So this is a lot of like, you know, kids working with adults. We have a lot of adults co-lead our small groups and things like that. And then the one that we'll focus on today is theological depth through biblical teaching. Uh, I know that's sort of a mouthful, but it's posted up at the top of that outline, so if you need to refer back, that'll be great. Um, Before we get started, though, I wonder if you would pray with me and for me. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together here today. Thank you for preserving your word uh, up to today and for revealing yourself through it. Um, we're thankful that you brought us together in this body of believers, um, and that we are able to talk, sit around and chat about you without fear of persecution. Uh, would you help us to speak well and listen well, and would any words that are not yours fall to the floor like husk off a kernel? Okay, uh, in your Son, Jesus Christ, name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, um, before we get started in thinking about what it means to build theological depth through biblical teaching for our students... I want to read a story from the prologue of the New City Catechism, which is just a little catechism that the Gospel Coalition has put out recently. And it sort of takes the best and most impactful sections of a lot of reformational catechisms and confessions of faith and puts them into question-and-answer format for us to ask our kids and stuff. So like, for example, the first question is, what is our only hope in life and in death? And if you're Dutch Reformed... It'll be very familiar to you, but if you're not, the answer is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is just sort of a way that we ask and answer questions with our kids to sort of ingrain biblical truth within them, etc. And so we'll start doing that when your kids are, gosh, I guess in like... 3K and 4K, and then we do it on up through high school pretty much. They have like an album that you can play in the car if you're into like VBS music and you have like the most patience ever. Um, So, um, but here's the story. So Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife, they all like put this thing together. And she says, Jonathan, our youngest son, was waiting for me to pick him up at his babysitter's house. And as he stared pensively out the window, she asked him, what are you thinking about? Unbeknownst to her, this triggered the adult asks a question and I provide an answer part of his brain. So his answer was, taken from the pages of this catechism, God. She answered, what are you thinking about God? And God got an even more surprising answer comprising the second and third catechism answers. Jonathan responded, how he made all things for his own glory. She almost fell over. She thought she was in the presence of a prodigy, but really, it was just the catechism. So, this is a helpful tool that we'll use. You know, like they're easy to find. I think we have a few copies in the bookstore if you're into that. Kaylee, my wife, and I use it and just sort of kick it around back and forth with each other. Um, And so, this is one thing that helps us build theological depth through biblical teaching. Um, And so, you know, before we get too deep into this conversation, uh, we probably should talk about like theology right i'm in divinity school, so this is fun for me, but I understand for the average person when you hear the word "theology, your eyes sort of glaze over, and you know you think about like really fine distinctions, and you know did God ordain the fall or did he just allow it to happen and you know questions that you know people think matter a ton, and maybe at the end of the day they do, but are not super relevant to our daily lives um but theology really. It's just words about God, right? It's comprised of two Greek words, theos, for God, logos, words, God, words. Um, And so, theology is not necessarily heady, stuffy things uh, that Dutch and German guys wrote hundreds of years ago. Um, Theology is something that we all do as we read the Bible. Um, And so when we talk about theological depth, what do we mean uh, by that? Especially as it pertains to your kids. And what we generally mean is like a basic understanding of the overarching narrative of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, how God engages with His people from the garden before the fall in the garden at the fall and then into the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 20 through 22. And so... Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that your kids need to know how to distinguish the covenant of works from the covenant of grace, or you know, to understand how and why the Garden of Eden is actually a prefiguration of the Levitical temple that Solomon will build in 1 Kings 6 through 8, right? Like this is not what we're always doing. Really, what we're doing and what we mean is just helping your students synthesize the information they find in the Bible and not treat it as Hundreds or thousands of distinct and discrete facts that have no relation to each other. We're trying to, you know, have help your kids to see the Bible as one story of how God relates to His people and how God cares for His people and brings them back to Himself, no matter what they do to get away. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's what we mean by theology, and also when we talk about building theological depth. Through biblical teaching, we're not just talking about intellectual pursuits. We're not just talking about teaching your kids how to read the Bible with their minds. We're teaching them how to read it with their hearts, right? We'd like to engage the affections um, and put our kids in a position where they love the person Jesus more and more over the course of their life as they study the scriptures and as they study what God has done for them in Christ. Um, we're trying to help our kids Think and love the person Jesus to a point uh, where they are constantly conformed to the image of God's beloved son. So that's what we mean. Uh, And ultimately, everyone's a theologian, right? Everybody, even atheists, have thoughts about God or his non-existence, right? Everybody speaks words about God. Uh, We just are trying to make sure that your kids, as you are, are good theologians and that they look to the scriptures for their information about God Um, and things like that. So, obviously, we achieve this primarily through biblical teaching, through studying the Bible, right? If you have students in our youth group or, uh, younger folks that go, uh, to our nursery programs or things like that, um, you know that the text plays a large role in everything we do. It's obviously contextualized to age groups and stages of life. But if you have a junior high student, they probably go to one of our Bible studies, uh, Uh, one morning a week Um, if you have a senior high student they probably lead one of those bible studies and go to one of their own and so we are always trying to put folks in a position to be in the text learning about god from what he's revealed to us Um, this does not mean that we give your kids every tuesday morning a you know selection from herman bovink's four volume reform dogmatics magnum opus right? We're not doing that. Um, We're trying to, again, help your folks synthesize the information. A lot of times we'll ask Tim Keller's like three questions of a text, right? What does a text teach you about God? What does it teach you about man? And if this passage or text or lesson were true, and it is, how does it affect the way that you live your life from here on in? And so, I guess all that said that's what we mean when we're talking about building theological depth through biblical teaching. We're using the Bible to inform our thoughts and our words about God. Does that make sense? That's a lot of words. may not mean much. So um, like any good youth minister, I have a list of four reasons that this is important. Uh, And so we'll just sort of go one by one and I will try to be done by 1040 or so, and then we can sort of kick some things back and forth, y'all can ask questions if you want, and we can just chat a little bit. Um, So, uh, in no particular order, the first reason that building theological depth through biblical teaching is important uh, is because we're trying to build a biblical worldview for your kids. Worldviews are just like the lenses through which you see the culture around you, through which you view uh, the things that happen in the world, in your community, in your culture, right? One of uh, my professors in college used to say that worldviews are like cerebellums. Everybody has one, but not everybody knows what it is. Um, and so it's important for us, especially as kids are getting older and older, to try to develop this worldview within biblical parameters, right? Um, it's probably not a secret to you guys as parents uh, that we live in some sort of tumultuous times, right? Things are a little bit uncertain on a lot of fronts. Um, and so, uh, you know, Christianity's influence is waning in the culture at large. Judeo-Christian ethics are uh, are not assumed anymore as they once were, for better or for worse. Um, and like... You know, if you if you speak with atheists often enough, you realize that maybe even just ten years ago, every atheist was a Christian atheist. It was a Christian God they didn't believe in, right? Um, now, that's no longer the case, right? You used to, could probably uh, presume on some biblical literacy on the part of the culture at uh, at large, that would give you some common ground to speak about, right? Somebody had read East of Eden by John Steinbeck, and they had some familiarity with the story of the garden, right? Or people knew who Jesus claimed to be, and they just disagreed with him. Or, um, you know, they were familiar with stories like the Exodus, or Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho. Uh, None of that can be assumed anymore, right? Um, A recent Gallup poll, very well publicized, noted that somewhere north of 30% of young people in America identify as religiously unaffiliated. These are the so-called Rise of the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Um, and so Western culture, especially in America, probably more so in Europe, but uh, this is our context, has less and less use for any kind of objective morality that's informed by a biblical worldview, right? Um, there are things, again, that we used to be able to count on um, a standard of right and wrong that is outside of yourself, a standard of truth with a capital T that maybe was defined by something that was not me, right That was not so subjective. and that I could say, my truth disagrees with your truth. And that's cool, and we can just go our own way, right? There used to be a standard that's decreasingly the case um, today. Judeo-Christian ethics are considered bigoted by many folks in the culture at large. Um, And I think this means just that it's more important than ever to interpret this cultural zeitgeist, this spirit of the age, through a distinctly Christian lens. Um, And so, as we're working to build theological depth through biblical teaching with your students, um, and your soon-to-be students, and maybe with your former students, what we're trying to do is Kind of fashion the lenses through which they can view the things that happen in the world around them through distinctly Christian lenses. Um, and I think what this means in practice is um, you know probably just giving your kids an understanding that um, that there is an objectivity, right? That you have a creator and because you have a creator, somebody who loves you very much, Uh, and came to the earth and died for you, um, that there is some standard of capital T truth, that there is um, some objective standard, right? And we're giving your kids the tools not only to argue for that, like in the public square or something, but to know that within themselves and um, to think uh, probably with or against the culture in that um, they're able to think, okay, this set of ideas... And this set of actions leads us back to Genesis 3, right? to brokenness and to fractured humanity and to unsatisfaction. But this set of ideas leads us to the new heavens and the new earth, to Revelation 20, 21 and 22, to a place and an ultimate time where Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye and abolish all sin and sorrow. right? And that happens whether or not you're, you know like whether or not we're leaning one way or the other, But we're giving your kids the tools to think to themselves. The issue is not just that culture at large, as it ventures away from biblical morality or biblical uh, understandings of truth or objectivity, that it's not just that you're like sinning, that you're condemned, or you know, that this or that is happening. It's that as we move away from biblical morality, we move away from human flourishing, right? Behind the idea of a creator is that God has designed us in a certain way uh, to be in community with a certain people and to be in community with Him. And every time we react against that, it's not just that we're sinning, it's that experientially you're looking for something else to fill a God-sized hole in your life. right? And so as we seek to develop theological depth through biblical teaching with your kids, we're trying to give them the tools and those lenses to see those things for what they are, right? Um, to see those things for worship of the creature rather than the creator, as Paul talks about in Romans 1. Um, and so theological depth through biblical teaching, when we do that, we're trying to give your t- your kids tools um, to see the world well, to see the world biblically, and to understand their place in it as a believer and as a person somebody created. Um in the image of God, and we're also doing this to give your kids tools to share the gospel with a culture and with people in a culture who all have very, very deep longings that can't be fulfilled by anything other than the triune God, right? Um, There's an example my wife and I talk about a lot. She's probably going to roll her eyes when I say this, but um, there is a singer, a British singer named Maddie Healy, And he's the lead singer for a sort of alt-rock band called The 1975. And he's a very outspoken patron of the British Humanist Society. So what that means is he's just a very loud atheist, um, in Britain specifically. And on their second album, they wrote this song called Nana. It was about the death of his grandmother. And at the very end of the song, if you listen close, you can hear him start to choke back tears. And it almost sounds as if the recording just cuts right there, like they just called it in the studio and released the song as is, and he as an atheist says these words he says I know that God doesn't exist um, and all the palaver surrounding it, but I like to think you hear me sometimes, right? So here's a man who has these deep longings, who as an atheist on his own system of uh, whether God does or does not exist, on his own view of the world and what's after or beyond the world, there's no reason to say that, right? There's no reason to 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 feel that sadness. That, you know, it's this is all just a natural process. But at the end of the day, the issue is that you're made to worship, right? And you're made to worship the triune God. And when you try to direct that worship to anything else, it's ultimately unfulfilling. And so... When we build theological depth through biblical teaching, we're trying to direct worship to the right place. We're not only seeking to shape the intellect of your kids, we're seeking to shape the affections as well uh, toward God. Um, right? Paul talks in Colossians 2 8 about not being tossed about by the vain philosophy or the elemental spirits of the world. Um, and having theological depth developed through biblical teaching helps. Your kids to have the tools to build their house on a rock, right? It gives your kids tools to to lean on Scripture and to interpret the things that are happening around them through scriptural lenses, um, right? It helps us see folks who disagree with us not as, uh, you know, curmudgeonly or anything like that. It helps us see them as, you know, people who have deep longings that are just unsatisfied by the world around them. and it also helps your kids to deal with their uh, questions of doubt, their crises of faith uh, in, a, in a good way. Um, okay, so point one, we're building a worldview via theological depth built by biblical teaching. Um, and uh, let's move on to number two, uh, tragedy. Right, We're not only trying to build a worldview for your kids, or help your kids sort of build a worldview, I don't want that to sound like indoctrination or anything. Um, Your student, if they haven't already, will face a horrible tragedy, right? Now this could be anything from not making the basketball team or realizing that they can't manage both Cub Scouts and Little League Soccer. It Could be something like that. Could be a divorce or a loss of a parent or a sibling or a grandparent, right? Y'all have lived enough life, I'm sure, to know that nobody gets through this 77 plus or minus years unscathed by the world, right? Everybody will experience something gut-wrenching sooner or later. Um, And your student will need a doctrine of God's sovereignty that can absorb this tragedy, right? A doctrine of God's sovereignty that helps them grieve, right? Grieving and lamenting is a very biblical thing. And the Psalms, which express pretty much every frame of emotion that a human could feel, right? You could flip to a random one and probably find a Psalm of Lamentation, right? Those lenses, those Psalms, those things in the Bible, they help give us categories to feel feelings and emotions that God has created within us, right? These things are not bad. They help us grieve, they help us move on, they show us that we are not the only ones to feel these things, and they teach us how to grieve well, how to lament well, how to ask questions of God, like why has this happened, while also understanding that this side of Revelation 20, there just probably won't be any answers. And that doesn't mean that there are no answers in a broad sense. It just means that we should not expect golden tablets to come down from heaven and tell us why tragedy has stricken in one way or another. What we can expect and what we can rely on, though, is that in the midst of suffering and in the midst of tragedy, God whispers to us in His Word that He is still good, and that in Romans 8:28 He's doing all these things uh, for the good of those who love Him. So, um, your student will need that doctrine of God's sovereignty uh, that can absorb that. If you look at Acts 2:23 on your page, here we hear Peter preaching to the Jews early in the book of Acts that Jesus, the Son of God 100% man and 100% God was sacri- was delivered up and murdered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God and if the triune God in eternity past, way before creation ordained this to happen according to his definite plan and foreknowledge the greatest sin that's ever taken place on the face of the earth God is sovereign over our tragedies, right? He's sovereign over the tragedies that your students experience as well. Um, In addition to this, though, your kids will also need a doctrine of God's goodness uh, that tells them God is still just, God is still merciful, God is still Lord of the earth, even in the midst of this tragedy. God's goodness is the thing that gives comfort in that pain when we ask, why has this happened to this person who... Helped old ladies across the street every single day of their life and worked at the soup kitchen every third Saturday. Why has this happened to them and not to, you know, that person you grew up with who we're all thinking of? You know, like, why, you know, like, why, why has that happened? God's goodness and God's sovereignty, the interplay of those two, in addition to a number of other things, shows us, like, we might not have an answer here in a way that's satisfactory to us, in our flesh. But there are answers. Um, And there is an ultimate answer, right? And that answer is crystal clear that Jesus is coming back at some point in the future to make all things new and to wipe every tear from our eyes and to abolish all sadness, sickness, sorrow, and death. Um, And those are things that we lean on in tragedies, right? And so as we work on building theological depth through biblical teaching with your students, we're trying to also give them those touchstones to hold on to when things seem like they're just falling apart, right? Um, So that's tragedy. So when we try to, just as a recap, um, when we try to build theological depth through distinctly biblical teaching, we are trying to build a worldview or to help your kids construct their own worldview that's biblically oriented. Um, And we're also trying to give them handrails to hang on to in the midst of tragedy. Uh, The third thing is we're trying to give your kids an apologetic, right? The Bible um, sort of includes its own defense of the faith, which is what an apologetic is. It's uh, giving a reason to defense for why you believe what you believe. Um, And we're trying to give your kids an apologetic not so they can get on the internet and like battle with folks, sure, but, like, what we're... <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let me just confess my own sin there. So, um, uh, you know, we're trying to give your kids an apologetic that, um, that flows directly from biblical conceptions of theological depth, right? That flows directly from what the Bible teaches them about who God is and who man apart from Christ is, right? This apologetic will always flow... From what they think about God and what they think about man. And having a somewhat developed idea of those two things look like, of what those two things look like in Scripture, helps us to sort of assess these claims. Um, You know, when your kids are in middle school or probably high school, they'll meet friends who are non believers. These friends will have good questions, um, and these questions, In high school, probably will consist of like, what about evolution? But the older you get, the more that your kids will realize that question is a disguise for deeper questions. I'm not saying that question is not important, but that question masks a deeper existential question, right? There are ways to interpret Genesis 1 that's consistent with a whole swath of ideas about science. That's not the problem. Great, faithful Christians have interpreted Genesis 1 to mean very, very different things, and they're all fine arguments. Um, All of those objections are a guise for some tragedy that somebody's experienced, right? I don't understand why God took this person from me. I don't understand why my parents got divorced. I don't understand why... Uh, my dad lost his job, I, you know, how could a good God do all of this? Those, oftentimes, are the objections. And then, as your kids get into college, and they take that Intro to Philosophy course that's required by the university that all freshmen take, and it turns out to be a Faith Breakers course, that's what they call it, uh, that's what they called it when I was in school, at least. And so... Um, they're going to need a system that accounts for objections that are underneath the surface, right? It's not just those objections, but now, you know, when you're sitting in that class and, you know, Dr. Smith, the philosopher who got her degree under Richard Dawkins, or you know, whatever, is going to say, it's not evolution I have questions about, it's God's wrath. Why did he order all the uh, Amalekites to be killed? Why is the Old Testament so anti-woman? Why are this and that and the other thing... If we're building theological depth through biblical teaching, your kids will have answers to those questions, right? Um, why is Christianity so exclusive? Why does, why does God have wrath if he is love? These questions are answered as we develop and as you all develop theological depth with your students, right? The question of exclusivity is never a question of exclusivity. It's a question of who created the universe and who deserves everything we have, right? And it's not because he's a tyrannical ruler that he deserves that. It's because he loved before we could love him, right? It's because we react to him in gratitude for all that he's done for us, right? Um, The issue of wrath is never just an issue of wrath. It's also an issue of mercy, right? Why would God need? Why, why God doesn't have to show mercy to anyone, right? But He does lovingly send His Son, so that the whole world could be saved if they would come to Him. So, um, those objections that are primarily biblical, right? That people have an issue with, right? Folks don't realize that Jesus, like, had Mary and Martha sitting at His feet, and that was unheard of in the in, uh you know first second century Palestine, you know. So. The better your kids know the Bible, the better they create categories for interpreting it, the more uh, persuasively they'll be able to answer those questions for their friends, and the more securely they'll be able to answer those questions for themselves, right? Because they, like some of these questions will take root in our kids' hearts at some point, right? We will doubt, we will have crises of faith, and that's okay, like that happens. But theological depth built through biblical teaching always brings us back to center. Um, And if it doesn't, it points us in the direction of some resources or some folks who can answer those questions for us, right? Okay, so we've got uh, apologetics, tragedy, and worldview. Those are three things we're trying to develop by building some theological depth through biblical teaching. Those three things are all pragmatic, right? Trying to build a worldview, we're trying to give you ways to respond to tragedy, and we're trying to give you an apologetic. Those three things are also very reactive. That doesn't mean they're bad. This obviously why we're trying to do them. But the fourth and perhaps most important thing that we're trying to do is build theological depth through biblical teaching so that your kids have a devotional theology. Right. We're looking to develop a doctrine of God's love and holiness that reveals our purpose, right? Excuse me, God has come to us in nothing but love and true mercy. Um, And our purpose as God's people in the world is to live holy lives set apart to Him and to love Him and to love His people and to love His creation. Um, And so... The more we read the Bible, the more we develop this theological depth. The more we understand what Scripture is teaching us about man and about God. Oh goodness, we have got to go. So, um, the more we realize, the more we read, the better we, the, the more used to interpreting the Scriptures we get. To be, um, the more that we understand the purpose God has given us in life, the more we understand the communion between God and ourselves, uh, and even on a deeper level knowing about God and knowing God are two different things, right? Um, Mature Christians have both of those things. You know things about God, but you also know the Lord. Um, And so as we seek to build theological depth through biblical teaching, primarily, we're learning to think about and praise Him well. We're learning to commune with Him in ways that honor Him and in ways that develop us as Christians, in ways that um, build our relationship with God and in ways that sort of bolster that. Um, and we cannot do all these things. We can't have a doxological, a theology um, if it's not built on biblical truth. And so as we do that, we're developing practices and rhythms in your students' lives for reading scripture and for praying and for, for understanding what God has done for them and what he continues to do for them, not only through his word, but through his church and Uh, through the people around them and through their families and things like that. So um, that's what we have in mind when we think of theological foundations through biblical teaching. We're thinking about uh, theological categories that help us to interpret worldviews, that help us to develop one, that help us interpret tragedy in biblical lenses, that help us develop uh, an apologetic that that is helpful to others, encouraging to us and also a sort of devotional theology that contributes to our own spiritual life. Um, That's all I got. So, um, if you all have questions, happy to dialogue. Yeah?
0: So, on on worldviews, a two-part question of how we define it, both sort of outwardly and inwardly. So, outwardly in terms of what are we fighting against? Sure. It's sort of hard to... Define what the current philosophy of the world is. I mean, other than everybody should be happy, right? Um, But that makes it harder to sort of explain to your child like this is this is the alternative to Christianity because I'm not real sure what it is. Yeah. How do we how do we sort of explain that? And then inwardly, how do we, I mean, we at the Advent um, and and other grace centered churches of our church very differently. Right. And and. particularly in sort of, you know, an anti workspace Christianity. Yeah, for sure. But that seems to all get lumped together, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a 13-year-old, and that all seems to be what they point at. So, I mean, how do we sort of go back and focus on grace for them, I mean, to sort of separate ourselves? and yeah. Other churches may look at it this way, but this is how we think of the gospel.
1: Yeah, okay, so when you talk about inward worldview and, like, thinking about how we speak to our kids about grace centeredness
0: right? Because a lot of so my my thirteen-year-old starting to get sure. these questions from friends and that right. sort of thing, and a lot of times it's it's a it's a it's a false argument. You yeah, know, they, they hold up something that we don't believe. Right. As as sort of the the argument against Christianity. Right. Um, and trying to sort of separate.
1: A, a yeah. True right. Um, yeah, okay, okay. Christianity. Yeah.
0: As opposed to somebody else's view of, you know, don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke,
1: don't. You know, sure.
0: That's sort of a, you know, that, that they tend to rebel against.
1: Yeah. Okay, so first question how do we sort of work within the spirit of the age? I think you're you're exactly right. There's not just one argument against Christianity, right? There's not just one set of ideas that are contra the gospel. Okay. Um This is going to sound like a trite answer, and I don't mean it to be, but the more that you're soaked by the word, the more that you develop categories, right, that help us to sort of identify maybe like little flashpoints in people's ideas or in people's feelings about certain things, right? Um, You know, maybe it's, it's realizing that X or Y person is operating with some borrowed capital right they've got some some things from Christianity that they want to impose uh but their worldview can't account for it right so you see this a lot um with the sort of secular humanist crowd who say you know morality is somehow objective but there's no there's no reason to think that on secular humanism generally um yeah i think There's a lot of like calling audibles at the line of scrimmage and like reading the D at the line that has to happen there. Uh, And I know that's not a helpful or practical answer all the time. But um, in like individual conversations, I think the best thing we can encourage our students to do is a fair amount of a Christian worldview as being winsome and persuasive and gracious in dialogue and in argument and trying to understand the other person's point of view that way we might be able to test it by scripture, by a biblical worldview, and sort of see maybe where some inconsistencies are, or maybe where some unmet longings are, and things like Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that helpful at all? And then with um, the sort of inward worldview piece of... Let me restate your question back to you, and you tell me if I'm like on the right track. So the question is, like, when you're dealing with folks who have sort of like canards of what Christianity actually is, what we would consider biblical Christianity to be. How do we like address that while still?
0: Yeah, it's, um, man to me, one of the, you know, the, the great things about um, our church is, you know, being
1: grace-centered. Yeah. The
0: understanding that we're all
1: miserable sinners. For sure. We all fail and we all need God's grace. Yeah. Um,
0: I think that's harder for children to yeah. necessarily grasp immediately. Yeah. Because they haven't had huge value. Fa- I mean, they've had some value. Sure. The huge value right. they want to have in their life to sort of say, okay, I need God's grace. Um, and, and then when they're sort of thinking about the Christian worldview, they have other Christians who aren't really as grace centered. Sure. And then they have people who I'm not sure what they are. But they're a rebelling against an idea of Christianity mm-hmm. that, that is not gospel-centered. Yeah. It's sort of this traditional idea of, you know, a right-wing political... View right, and yeah. Of thing. And how do we sort of bring that back to, you know, I'm focused on the gospel. I want my child to be focused on the gospel. Yeah. The gospel-centered.
1: Yeah. I think I have to that. we were in one night, and William was asking about his friend down
0: the street who they... I guess have a very different view of what they believe the to right. be right. true. But they're also saying like we are Christian being as well. And so William's having all these questions and he's like a really smart kid. Because he, he's a generalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's asking all of us like, Well what like I don't I just don't get it. Like I don't I don't get why they think this. And I think just being able to have a conversation, and talk with your kids about this is like what we believe in here this in scripture. Cool. And like, that's why I advocate a lot for the New City Catechism, because it gives you the big questions. The second question is, what is God? Right. And it gives you an answer to that, and then the scripture that goes along with it. And so if you have those questions, like, these are questions that people are going to ask, and if you have the scripture to back it up, it's easy to have the conversation with your kid. Or for them to kind of frame what they know to be truth with what they're seeing in other places. And people all around our culture confuse Christian culture for Christianity. Oh, that's good. That's a good word. And it's right. so distinctive. And people, there's a, we were reading a, 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 an audiobook and it mentioned how in the scriptures it says, I can't remember what it said, but Matt was like, oh, this is wrong. It's not in the <laughs> scriptures, you know? Yeah. But people are telling this so people hear it that that's in the scriptures, like God helps them who those who help themselves. Yeah. not right. biblical. Right. But people say it is, and some people assume it's true. They don't actually go and verify. So I think right. whenever your daughter or any teenager has a question, to pull out the Bible and look for it with them is hugely helpful. Like to be in pursuit of the answer with them, not always having the answer, is very valid and wonderful.
1: Right. Yeah. And sometimes, like, with the, like, grace-centered piece and when kids, like, you know... <clears throat> Probably the biggest failure they've had is like jacking a cookie out of the cookie jar when they're not supposed to, right? So that's where things like this liturgy and this prayer book are so helpful, right? Because every Sunday you have to tell yourself, we miserable sinners, miserable offenders, right? right? Right. And, you know, there's no like formula or complex that you can just sort of toss in. And as y'all know, I'm sure, and, you know, a lot of those things just take root and sprout in their own time. So, and
0: thank you for asking that. Because, yeah, you know, that's you good. talk a lot about like, being ready and available to, to talk to people who don't believe, you know, and, and looking for those people and looking for those opportunities. But it's never occurred to me to say, you know, look for your friends who, who believe but maybe don't understand grace. Like, and maybe it's the proactive of uh, talking about how to share about that so that when they see it, they recognize it as not our beliefs mm-hmm. necessarily. Not to be judgmental, but sure. to recognize it so before they come to them, they're seeing it and
1: aware of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I just wanted to say, like, we're in need of this whole youth group thing and like that you guys can accomplish all this but still make it fun. Yeah. Like they don't well, know that all this is going on. Like,
1: sure. It, yeah. And they wanna come and, you know, to change it to where it's not just like a kinda call it, right, right. a pep rally for God. Right, right. But I
0: mean that that
1: you're laying all these and sure. yeah forever grateful. Yeah, praise God. It's uh yeah, it's like the subversive gospel we say. So um any other questions? If you got them my email is just Tucker at cathedraladvent.com So, you know. Um but it's ten fifty, so if y'all want to bail, you're more than welcome to we can stay and chat, whatever y'all want to do. Cool. Thanks guys. Thank you.